Greetings, everyone, and welcome to On Track, our podcast series on legal and business issues related to the COVID pandemic. I'm Gil Porter, a partner at Haynes & Boone and chair of the firm's COVID task force. And it's been a little bit of time since our last podcast in early winter. We have, though, been quite active in presenting webinars and posting articles on our website, so I hope you've been keeping track of those, and if not, that you reach out and take a look. We're excited to be back, addressing a topic that is front and center to our current environment. Nearly two years after the start of the pandemic, we now have a growing number of employees returning to the office. Today, we will discuss recent U.S. Supreme Court rulings and other developments addressing vaccine mandates. The court struck down an OSHA mandate that large businesses require their employees to either be vaccinated or tested for the coronavirus. But the court upheld the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services vaccine mandate that applies to healthcare workers. In light of the rulings, our panelists will talk about what businesses can do and are doing to protect their employees against COVID-19 infections. We're joined by Jason Habinski, partner and chair of the firm's Labor and Employment Practice Group, Matt Defebach, partner and chair of the firm's OSHA and Workplace Disasters Practice Group, Minnie Kapoor, a partner in the firm's OSHA and Litigation Practice Groups, and Henson Adams, an attorney in our Labor and Employment and Litigation Practices. We have a lot to cover in this podcast, and to make sure we cover it properly, we're extending the discussion into a two-part presentation. In part one, we're going to review the recent Supreme Court rulings on vaccine mandates and what they mean for employers. In part two, our panelists will weigh in on tricky topics that employers are wrestling with, including testing and masking protocols, and how to properly handle requests for medical or religious exemptions to vaccine requirements. So we're about to kick off on part one, and please be sure to look for part two. As usual, the podcast will be moderated by our good friend Nathan Koppel, the firm's Director of Media Relations. And I'm going to turn this over to Nathan in a moment, but first, our disclaimer. This podcast is for informational purposes only, is not intended to be legal advice, and does not establish an attorney-client relationship. The topics we discuss are fast-moving and subject to change. Legal advice of any nature should be sought from your legal counsel. Gil, thanks. Uh, we've got a, a, a lot to go over today, and I'm, I'm anxious to, to jump right in. Hence, I'm going to pick on you first. Um, before we get into a discussion about the, the recent Supreme Court rulings, I'm just curious to get your impressions about the extent to which our clients are continuing to adapt their COVID-19 workplace protocols. Are they Have they settled on plans and procedures, or is this still a work in progress? Uh, thanks, Nathan. And just as a, as a reminder and refresher for everybody, and when we're talking about the, the ETS, we're, we're discussing the, the vaccine and testing ETS that was struck down by the Supreme Court. Uh, and, and I know it was the subject of a, a lot of national news and, and attention, both uh, from the general and public and, and employers. But um, one of the things that's happened as a result of the ETS which required vaccination for certain employers of 100 and more employees and also uh, enacted testing mandates for those employers too. Uh, one of the things with the, the ETS going away is that employers have a lot more flexibility subject to state and local uh, restrictions uh, in, in implementing both policies and practices related to vaccination and testing. 
uh, for COVID. And we are seeing employers take uh, d different approaches. I mean, as, as many of you will remember, uh, the, the ETS was struck down right after the deadline for the ETS uh, effective date. And so many employers had already rolled out policies and at least had drafted policies related to the ETS vaccine and testing standard. And so some, some employers chose to just keep going with those policies, uh, even though they were no longer required by the uh, ETS. And other employers have taken uh, different approaches and, and pulled back. Uh, the, the good thing about uh, the, the new flexibility, and this is one of the things the Supreme Court did focus on in both its opinion and during oral arguments, was uh, employers have the ability now to look at their own workforces, look at their own workplaces, and really tailor vaccine and, and testing and other safety requirements based on their own situations. And uh, doing so, looking at CDC guidance, uh, looking at other guidance that's both state and local and, and federal guidance like OSHA guidance related to COVID and, and looking at that and implementing it in a way that um, allows employers to address the safety needs and, and, and health needs in their workplace uh, based on guidance and best practices. And so to answer your question, uh, we are seeing a wide variety of approaches and employers are uh, evaluating their own, their own situations and their own workforces and deciding what's the best measure to protect uh, the, the safety of, of workers in the workplace. And I guess it's a moving target, Henson, for every business. It's absolutely a moving target. And I know we're recording this on March 2nd and and we've just seen the CDC change its guidance with respect to masks. And so employers are reacting are reacting to that as well. And so uh, as the guidance changes, uh, employers can react to the updating guidance and also the updating status of the pandemic. I mean, right now, the Omicron variant is we're, we're in a valley with COVID again. And um, employers can react accordingly and not be stuck to the strictures of an ETS that has uh, uh, requirements that employers must meet. And of course, right, as, as I know we're about to discuss, um, I'm sure on this podcast, uh, there are other state and local requirements that employers do need to take into account with respect to policies and practices. Thanks, Henson. Um, Minnie, I feel like I've heard you or maybe it's others on this podcast before talk about the OSHA provision that businesses have a duty to provide a safe workplace for employees. I'm wondering how do you square that general duty clause with the Supreme Court ruling on the OSHA ETS? Thanks, Nathan. Uh, as Henson just spoke about, um, the Supreme Court opinion, you know, focused on um, the ETS, essentially whether employers could uh, mandate vaccination for all employees as a safety control in the workplace against COVID-19. Uh, the ETS was then withdrawn by OSHA uh, very soon after the U.S. Supreme Court decision. Uh, but um, as, you, as you mentioned, Nathan, uh, employers' obligations to protect their employees in the workplace remains. So there's a, 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 a clause called the general duty clause from OSHA, which is essentially a, a catch-all clause where 
um, you know, instances where there is not a specific regulation against a hazard in the workplace, uh, the general duty clause uh, kicks in and it's very much alive, not going anywhere. So OSHA has and will continue to rely upon the general duty clause to impose uh, or enforce safety obligations um, uh, with respect to COVID-19 in the workplace. The general duty clause essentially requires employers to provide a workplace free of um, recognized, uh, free from recognized hazards. So uh, while an across the board mandating of vaccination may not no longer be available as a control in the workplace, there are many other controls that are still available and may be uh, viewed as mandated by the general duty clause. Um, there's, you know, obviously, as as most people know, there's masking, there's a physical distancing, there's the, you know, hygiene practices, remote working, and so forth, uh, which employers need to assess in their workplace as to what controls are are um, are suitable and maybe needed based on their hazard assessment at their workplace and have those implemented to be in compliance with the general duty clause. Uh, so that's kind of, in essence, um, how uh, I think even even though there's not the ETS in place right now, the obligation to provide a safe workplace continues and it'll just continue under a different uh, tool from OSHA's side. And I know we'll talk a little bit later about some of the testing and masking protocols that, that uh, workplaces need to think about. Um, and I guess it'd be nice for employers if they only had a federal regulatory regime to worry about, but there's uh, a lot of state workplace safety laws. And I'm wondering, um, how does how do these Supreme Court rulings impact um, those state regulations? And are states likely to offer updated guidance or rules in light of the Supreme Court rulings? Yeah, so I think it's important to note that Supreme Court ruling, although, you know, it was against the vaccine mandate under the ETS, it's essentially left open the possibility of mandating vaccination in workplaces where there's, uh, you know, high hazard to exposure to COVID-19. Think about an assembly line where people are working close together within six feet of each other on a consistent basis. Uh, Those situations are still open and up for grabs as far as uh, the U.S. Supreme Court decision is concerned, the way it's drafted, that is still a possibility. So what, what do we expect OSHA might do in face of that that opinion. It's possible that OSHA might uh, update its guidance with respect to uh, these high hazard workplaces to, to, uh, you know, um, suggest the employers in these workplaces that, you know, recommend that, you know, maybe mandating vaccination is a, is, is a tool that they, they should have. And so uh, going to your question, you know, as federal OSHA may update its guidance, state OSHA programs are, are looking to federal OSHA and trying to make sure their, their programs are as effective and they may follow suit either by regulation or by um, just updating their guidance uh, under the state OSHA programs for these um, high hazard industries. Uh, Other than that, outside of high hazard industries, state OSHA programs obviously will be looking to any updated guidance on COVID-19 from federal OSHA, and we expect they will align with the federal OSHA guidance on that uh, that respect. Does the Supreme Court upholding a vaccine mandate for healthcare workers give uh, state OSHA uh, agencies comfort that those sorts of laws for high hazard workplaces will be upheld? 
Yes, I think that's a great question. Uh, as Supreme Court upheld the CMS rule, um, you know, healthcare industry where there's uh, a lot of patient interaction is obviously uh, one of those industries that will fall under the high hazard industries, not just under the C- CMS rule application, but also under the U.S. Supreme Supreme Court's uh, essentially a little bit of a fluid opinion in that respect that, you know, there's potential for uh, mandating vaccinations there. And so, yes, uh, the state programs would have uh, could view that that uh, that opinion as having a little bit more flexibility when they're considering mandating vaccination in the healthcare sector. So, so given the developments we've been talking about here in, in recent weeks and in months, what are the next steps for employers as they try to sort of nail down their workplace protocols? Uh, Yeah, the landscape with respect to what may be required for COVID-19 safety obviously continues to change. And uh, the good news is the the change is looking to be uh, towards the better uh, as more and more people get vaccinated. And, you know, the cases across um, a lot of states have gone down dramatically. So that's all good news. And uh, but then, you know, obviously we can't get our get our you know, guard down. There has to be an um, individualized workplace hazard assessment as to what controls may still be required uh, to keep the employees safe in the workplace. For example, um, if you if all employees coming into the office are vaccinated, then there may be greater room to relax, for example, the masking requirement as opposed to when there is a percentage of population or employees who are in the workplace who are not vaccinated. So employers need to, uh, you know, take it as a as a as an individualized assessment of their workplace and, you know, revise their policies accordingly to make sure that their workforce continue to be uh, continues to be protected. And how, how what would you advise em, employers about sort of communicating policies to their employees as they refine and revise these over time? Yeah, that's a very important question uh, because as an employer, you go in, you start making changes to your policy. Um, It's very important when you do that, that it's done in a manner so that there is um, transparency with the employees. There should be, uh, you know, a clear communication with the employees that the policy is being revised, the reason why that's being done, and that it aligns with the current, um, you know, federal, state, and local laws, and how the revised policy will continue to afford uh, afford protection against COVID nineteen in the workplace. Uh, it's as effective or or more effective than the earlier policy, uh, subject to you know the current state of COVID nineteen. And then, preferably, um, when you're going and revising your policies. It's always good practice to solicit input from employees. Um, And obviously, uh, it's important to address any concerns um, that employees may have with regard to uh, policy changes. Thanks, Minnie. Uh, Matt, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to pivot a little bit. We've been talking about the OSHA ETS and wanted to ask you about what the Supreme Court ruling, how it may impact the National Emphasis Program, if at all. And can you start by, by just giving a summary of that program? Of course, Nathan. So back in uh, March of last year, uh, the agency introduced a enforcement program called the National Emphasis Program, which is to target inspections, basically 
unprogrammed inspections, generating a, a list for the different OSHA offices in different regions of certain industry segments that OSHA has seen a higher risk of COVID-19. And so that enforcement um, program is basically a targeted inspection by the agency. And a couple of important things about that. It is still alive and well, uh, even with the ETS being struck down by the Supreme Court effectively and then rescinded by the agency, the National Emphasis Program still is in existence generating these inspection lists for OSHA officers to go out and conduct random inspections of high-risk areas. And number two, also important, this emphasis program, which originally went in place in March for a year, was updated in July and also was extended for a year from July. So it is in effect until July of 2022. And so that means if you go look at the emphasis program, there is a chart that has the different industries that OSHA is looking at in generating these random inspection lists. Healthcare is a heavy percentage of that, but it's also other where people are in close proximity to other workers or customers, retail, certain manufacturing, et cetera. So in those high-risk areas, even though COVID trends may be going down currently, um, you still need to be on your guard because you could be subject to a completely random inspection uh, because in those high, high hazard areas, even though community spread may be going down, you know, we still see different areas where it is and is not, your particular industry as seen as by OSHA is continuing to have a threat. So you need to be diligent if you're in one of those high hazard industries. And those inspections are ongoing. They've, uh Absolutely. And anyone can go and look at uh, OSHA's website. It has enforcement uh, stats on it. And you can see how many inspections they're conducting uh, under these different programs. Could you give just a quick summary of sort of what the what that kind of inspection looks like? What kinds of things they, they seek out? For sure. And, and, you know, many talked about it because it relates to this general duty clause. And so the inspectors have sort of a playbook to go in and ask you, hey, who is your designated COVID safety coordinator? Because that has been a long recommended OSHA uh, practice to have someone who's in control of COVID matters. They'll want to talk to that person. They're going to want to see what is your COVID-19 plan? Um, what, what have you assessed in terms of your hazards that many talked about, and how are you confronting them? You know, what is appropriate for your workplace? Is it using plexiglass barriers and masks? Is it just using social distancing? What is it? What works for your particular workplace? And because these are high hazard industries, it typically means that they're looking for as many controls as possible, and then they're going to go out and evaluate them, take, take a look at what you're doing, interviewing employees, looking at your records, uh, your logs of injuries to see, hey, do you have a lot of COVID-19 cases recorded on your injury and illness logs? So they're going to do a pretty thorough examination uh, top to bottom in terms of your COVID-19 plan and is it effective? And, and you've just touched on sort of the different standards that apply, I guess, to these sorts of industries and higher hazard workplaces, as did many. But I'm just to, just to go back, I want to make sure I understand how you square the Supreme Court upholding the CMS vaccine mandate, but then, you know, rejecting uh, OSHA's, you know, uh, uh, testing and, and, and vaccine standard. 
Right. And it's a good question because there certainly are these different rules out there that have gone through uh, the different aspects of, of legal challenge. And with the CMS rule and the OSHA ETS being before the Supreme Court at the same time, the key is really what many talked about, which is, are you looking at actual high risk industries that are targeted? And so the concern with the Supreme Court was you have this rule that as long as you have 100 employees, it doesn't matter what the nature of your business is. And so, and so if you're in the nature of a business like you know, us at a law firm, where maybe your COVID-19 cases and risk are considerably different than employees working on the assembly line that many talked about, um, the, the Supreme Court took issue with this sort of one size fits all without having a basis to show that there's a grave danger, which is the whole you know, mandate before being able to issue an emergency temporary standard. There has to be this immediate grave danger. Well, that may not exist uh, at one workplace uh, based on the type of industry you're in, where it could in others. And where, and where I think historically everyone has seen it being very high risk is healthcare. Uh, if you're patient facing and just given the amount of, ca- of cases in hospitals and healthcare settings, I think it was much easier for the Supreme Court to look at the CMS rule being narrowly tailored as to where there was high risk to then support the vaccine mandate under that CMS rule. So that concludes part one of our podcast on workplace safety issues in light of the recent Supreme Court rulings. And with that, Gil, I will turn it back to you. Wonderful. Thank you, Jason, Matt, Minnie, and Henson. And of course, thank you, Nathan. And thank you, as always, to our loyal listeners. Please keep an eye out for part two of this podcast for additional information on employer challenges. And until then, be well and stay safe.